Hello and welcome to Mindshare's Trends 2018 podcast. I'm here at the Google Town Hall in London where the event is about to get underway and an excited audience is ready to hear more about the media industry's tech future. Uh, These trends have been researched by the Mindshare UK Futures team and they aim to predict which technological changes and developments are going to shape the media industry going forward, as well as the environments within which brands and consumers operate. Today's first panel is going to offer the industry perspective on the five key trends that Mindshare has identified in their report. Speaking on this panel, we have James Chandler from IAB, Marie Stafford from JWT, Simon Gosling from Unruly and Google's own Matt Bush. Uh, It's going to be moderated by Norm Johnston, who's Mindshare's Global Chief Strategy and Digital Officer. Before you hear from them, though, um, Sophie Harding, who's the Trends and Insights Director for Mindshare UK, is going to introduce us to these five cultural and technological trends to watch in 2018, and also to give us a brief overview of Mindshare's research programme. Let's listen in. So I'm Sophie Harding, our Trends and Insights Director. Um, And you might be thinking, what is a researcher uh, doing here to talk to me all about trends and technology? Um, And I think this is where uh, Mindshare, again, approach trends from a slightly different angle to lots of other people in the industry. Um, We're currently uh, constantly researching trends as the year goes uh, goes by, all throughout the year. Um, And then our 2018 trends piece... Um, it is driven through a really, really extensive uh, piece of consumer research that takes around uh, three months to pull together, actually. So I'm going to give you a quick whistle-stop tour of what the trends are um, so that we can have some informed discussion today. Um, our first trend is a trend called Get Snappy. Uh, and this is all about the growing use of image recognition for quicker and easier interactions for consumers. So we've highlighted three, uh, three areas, really, for growth uh, when it comes to Get Snappy. And the first one is visual search. Now, what I mean by visual search is uh, using image as the input uh, for search rather than text. Um, and there's lots of different companies uh, investing quite heavily in this at the moment. Um, ASOS, great example, uh, where you can, they've added this into their app, where you can upload a picture of um, a piece of clothing or, in this case, a, a boots. Uh, and it will match that with uh, about 40,000 uh, different um, solutions through their, their app and find you uh, a matching pair of boots. Um, similarly, you don't necessarily have to upload uh, photos either in this space. Um, so Google Lens are working um, on this in beta at the moment in the States. Uh, and this is a proposition that they're trying to build into their Pixel phones. Um, where you will literally just hover your phone over an item and it will bring up more information about that item. Um, So this is uh, the star rating on a restaurant, for example. There's lots of other different applications there with Google Lens. And then the second area is scanning codes. And I could probably hear lots of uh, marketing people kind of groaning at this because obviously we had QR codes, um, which didn't quite work for a number of reasons. Um, But the main barrier, really, for QR codes was the fact that you needed a separate QR code reader um, and actually, we're not needing that now because actually these readers are now built into uh, either social platforms um, or actually the newest version of iOS uh, now also has a, a code reader um, designed into it. Um, so we're seeing, obviously, Snap have been doing it since 2015, um, but other brands like Shazam, like Pinterest, like Facebook, um, all adding uh, the code scanning options. Um, and it's pretty easy for consumers to do this now. And then lastly, facial recognition. Um, lots of advances in AI that mean that even just over the last two or three years, facial recognition is becoming um, much um, more improved. 
And things like uh, the Apple iPhone 10, obviously building facial recognition uh, for phone unlo unlocking uh, and things like payments um, will, will make people slightly more comfortable with this. Um, and this was something that we found in the research. Again, Julia will go into more detail, but people aren't quite as trusting of the technology just yet for facial recognition. So what does all this mean? Um, just some thought starters, really, for, for you guys in this space. Um, it's about using image recognition to make that customer experience smoother. So what can you do to use images to actually make things easier for people? Um, and then thinking about kind of how people might be visually searching as well for your products. And what I mean by this is, you know, how do people's brains work? It's more about that functionality. So how are people categorizing or identifying items, for example? And then off the back of that, optimizing your content. So it might be your website um, for image search. And then also displaying images free of clutter so that people can easily use them. Actually, the visual search side of things was something people really, really found appealing. Um, but they just don't know it exists currently at the moment. So the technology is there. People just don't know it exists. So again, expect to see once people are aware, um, a real take up of, of get snappy. Second trend um, is a trend called access all areas. And this really is about access everywhere, kind of supercharged access. And this is being driven by, by two things. Clearly, new devices. So David mentioned CES earlier. Um, and we're not just talking about kind of a, a Alexa uh, and Google Home now. They're obviously being built into lots of different things like cars, like TVs, um, like appliances. Um, and then also there were lots of different uh, hearable type options as well. Um, we had AR glasses, again, um, that were quite big at CES this year, early days. Um, and then also lots of other IoT uh, products in this space. So we really are kind of moving beyond the mobile phone screen. Um, and this is something uh, that consumers were kind of up for, but they really could not get their head around it. Um, they really could not visualize a future where we weren't really embedded uh, to a mobile phone screen, which was quite interesting. And this is all going to be fueled by uh, an improved infrastructure, especially in the UK. Um, so expect more Wi-Fi points. Uh, the government are investing heavily in kind of improving broadband. Um, and obviously, we've got 5G on the horizon as well for 2020, um, which will completely um, transform how we consume media and bring big changes. Um, so we'll be able to consume kind of more AR, more VR, more immersive digital content um, when 5G comes our way as well. So expect big changes at that time. And then focusing on the consistency of brand experience is going to be um, really key because actually, um, obviously, people are going to be using even more platforms to consume um, your brand. So consistency of brand experience and actually making that experience easy for people to flip from channel to channel. And if they are switching from channel to channel, um, also tailoring your content to that context. So people might be, for example, consuming your content in a car, which means they're consuming it on their own. Um, but then they might quickly, easily switch to consuming that on the go or potentially in a, in a slightly more public environment. So you just might need to be aware of how your con the context in which your content is being consumed. And then focusing on the best experience for the consumer as well. Sounds pretty obvious. Um, but there are lots of these ecosystems, um, again, as David kind of pointed to earlier. So um, everything is either all Amazon or all Google. And often the two don't, um, don't collaborate, which really, um, from a consumer perspective, isn't really how they think. So again, um, don't commit too early and, and think about things from a consumer point of view. And then our third trend is called the exploration game. 
Um, so we have been turning to friends and family for recommendations, for ideas, for new things, and to help us discover and imagine and visualize things um, for a while. But actually, technology um, is also helping us discover things and imagine in new, in new ways and more imaginative ways. So thinking about discovery and inspiration, um, algorithms are up there. We spoke to people quite extensively about algorithms. They don't mind algorithms, actually, um, especially things like um, program recommendations on Netflix because they get useful things out of them. Um, so they were more friendly towards algorithms than we thought they would be. And they were very, very established and, and, and actually all age groups really related to them. Um, and then also social platforms, the ultimate discovery um, platform. You think about what Pinterest was designed to do. Um, but obviously social platforms are becoming more shoppable, more immersive. Um, this is an example of Snapchat context cards. Uh, again, have a look into that. That's quite an interesting one. And then in the imagination and visualization space, probably earlier days really, um, but we're looking at things like smart mirrors, like digital assistants, like the Amazon Look that have cameras built in. Um, and also uh, AR in, in this space for mobile specifically is something we're really, really um, tipping for, for quick growth. Um, and this is really driven um, by the fact that it's being built in um, to things like the iPhone 8, the iPhone 10, uh, the Pixel phones. Uh, but obviously, you've got the developer kits as well that uh, these companies are developing. So AR kits um, and uh, the, the Google version, Google AR Core. Um, and this will make it easier for brands to create their own content. So this um, app in particular is something that IKEA created um, called IKEA Place, and they use that uh, by, by using the AR kit. So mobile is going to be um, at the heart of all these exploration moments. Um, and then thinking about you know, where that consumer decision journey is, where do you need to inspire people? Is it at the ideas stage? Is it a bit further along? How can you really, really help uh, people make decisions along that journey? And then talking about AI, it doesn't necessarily have to be the main attraction. You don't have to design some big standalone AR app. You could be designing, a lot of companies are trialing um, small functions, AR functions within apps that they have already, for example. Um, and then again, thinking about AR, context will be really, really important, potentially more important than content at times with AR, because it will be all about where people are having this AR experience um, and how. And then our last two trends are really um, around how consumers are reacting um, to certain uh, growth in, in the technology space. Um, so this is automatic for the people. And we knew when we went into um, the research that we wanted to talk to people about automation, but we weren't really sure what was going to come out. Um, and the interesting thing was, you know, we're being exposed to much more, um, much more automation options, really, in our lives. So there's over 100,000 chatbots on Messenger now. Um, and there's obviously the concept stores like Amazon Go um, in Seattle where there's just no people in store. We wanted to see how people felt about that. And interestingly, they are kind of becoming more conscious that there's more automated options um, there. And I think they're thinking more consciously about things maybe than they perhaps did a couple of years ago. And they realize they're having to make decisions to deal with an automated service versus a person that maybe they didn't have to deal with a couple of years ago as well. So the appeal of convenience for people was quite a draw. So about 54% of people really said that speed, convenience, if it's quicker, easier for me, I, I'll go for the automated option. And something like this, which is the automatic uh, boarding gates that BA are trialing, uh, which has facial recognition built in. So it will match it to your security um, scan as you come in through 
um, security at the airport and you don't need your boarding card, you can just literally go straight through. So people kind of like the concept of things like that um, for the convenience factor. But we were finding that there's still a real issue with kind of trust in the technology. Um, and Amazon Go, I could have spoken to, had a separate focus groups and spoken to people on mobile app for hours about Amazon Go. Um, they really didn't get the concept of Amazon Go, and it was, it was really difficult for them to trust that the technology would work. There were all kinds of questions um, through to, what if I don't take my phone? What if I put the item on a different shelf? What if somebody else put something in my basket? There were all these theoretical reasons why Amazon Go just wouldn't work at all. Um, so there was a, a kind of risk factor associated with things. So if there was a, a, a risk of something going wrong, people would automatically go for the, uh, the person rather than the automated version. So people kind of weigh these decisions up in their mind. And then interestingly, when we spoke to them about talking to, to humans about things, there, there were some things, sometimes that people just couldn't really articulate why they wanted to deal with a person. Um, so it might be, again, they just wanted to have a joke or a, a piece of kind of face-to-face -face interaction with somebody, and they couldn't really describe why. Um, some people were the complete opposite. They didn't really want a human interaction. Um, so there were differences in the data there, um, particularly um, young people and Londoners as well. Uh, when we look regionally, don't want to be uh, dealing with people at times and think it's easier to deal with the automated option. Um, so, yeah, that human touch. Interestingly, what we didn't find so much was um, lots of social discussion about what automation means for, um, for the, the, job, the job world um, and society, actually. People did touch on it, but actually what we talked about more was will that process, will that automation or the person get that job done better um, and which is, which is the best option for me. Um, interestingly, yeah, we, we gave lots of people different scenarios uh, in, in the, the quant. Um, and there were certain things where people really wanted a human versus certain things where people were kind of quite accepting the fact that a robot could do things to passport gates, hence why the, um, the VA example works well. Uh, chatbots, not so much. Uh, drone deliveries, people really aren't up for drone deliveries just yet. <laughs> um, so what does some of this mean? So focusing on automating um, services in very specific roles was something we found would work well. Um, and this was to do with the trust issue. So if people, um, if, if something was trying to do too much, people just weren't really trusting of the fact that it could do all of these different things. So if you focus on something specific, that will really um, actually get people to trust your brand. Um, and then designing services that balance feelings of convenience with control as well. So some people felt that the automated service kind of took control away from them. So if you are creating an automated service, um, perhaps um, an example of this would be checking in at an airport. So some people actually really liked the um, check-in at the airport automatically because it meant that they could actually choose the seats on the plane. So you're giving them back control of something, of, that, of some part of that process that they wouldn't get if they dealt with a human. And then thinking about augmenting um, rather than replacing the human role. Um, and actually, I didn't talk about Lola, um, which is a chatbot here. That Yes, it is a chatbot, um, but it also has a team of, uh, it's a travel chatbot that has a team of about seven or eight people behind it as well um, that are there for that human response. So again, if you can combine and augment um, rather than replace that human role, uh, all the better. And then our last trend um, is destination data. And again, we knew we wanted to speak to people about data, um, but we weren't quite sure what they were going to tell us. And interestingly, they told us that data... Um, wasn't really on their radar. 
um, and, and it wasn't really top of their priority list, um, but they felt it should be. Um, so obviously with GDPR on the horizon, um, data is set to become a hotter topic, so we're going to see a bit of a, a reversal really in people's um, opinions on this. So how people feel about this currently is there's a real sense of inevitability. They realize that they're just giving away more and more data and that their data footprint is increasing. Um, and they know that this data has value, but they just simply don't know how to use it. Um, and they don't really, um, really think about it. So things like terms and conditions, you can understand why people don't read terms and conditions. Um, if we read all the terms and conditions we were supposed to, there's some research that suggests um, we'd be there for about 76 hours of our, of our lives every year. So you can understand why. And then, you know, off the back of this, yes, we're giving away more data and people aren't as concerned as you think they would be. Um, but they do feel like they should be doing more to control their data. And they feel like companies should also be doing more as well to, to tell people how um, they're currently using their data. So we ran the kind of GDPR concept past people. Obviously, you've got GDPR coming in May. Um, and I think generally when people um, heard about GDPR, um, because yes, they don't really know about GDPR, um, only 22% of those that we surveyed actually knew what GDPR was or had heard of it. Um, and when you speak to people, it's only people really that have um, an interest in it through their work that, that, as to why they would know about GDPR. But when we ran things past them, like the right to be forgotten, um, the, the opt-ins, they really, really um, were quite um, passionate about it, actually. Um, and they really thought it was a very good idea. So in this space, I think what people were telling us as well is I need companies to help me manage my data better. Um, and I think we will see a lot of companies becoming solution providers, whether it's new companies emerging to market, um, like this self-key um, example, which is a blockchain kind of digital identity system. Um, brands like Apple as well, are, and Google are doing things in this space. So Apple now built into iOS. Um, it will automatically delete any unused cookies after 30 days. So keeping also a close eye on how these de different demographics behave as well when it comes to data. Julia's going to talk about that one. And clearly marketing consents are going to be key. Consumers are going to expect transparency. Um, we're going to have to be really, really explicit, obviously, with them, and that's something they will welcome. And then also help towards more effective data management is also going to be welcome in this space. Um, that is me, and we're going to move on to the industry panel. Hi, everybody. Good morning. Are you enjoying your cucumber water? I don't know what, I've been in this country for 20 years. What is it with cucumbers? This country cannot get enough of cucumbers. Well, thank you, uh, everybody. Uh, we've got uh, an all-star panel here. And I got a few questions for them uh, that I'm going to ask. So uh, thanks for joining, guys. Um, let's talk first a little bit about Access Anywhere, which is this notion of ubiquitous internet. Uh, powered by 5G, which is about 100 times faster than 4G. And I was out in Las Vegas uh, a couple weeks ago. I'm still recovering from it. <laughs> and uh, it's a really bizarre place. And, uh, you know, it, Google Home was everywhere, Google Assistant and Alexa. Um, you couldn't miss the advertising when you were out there. But if you look at the share of smart speakers at the moment, so Amazon's about 70%, Google's about 23%. What happened, Matt? <laughs> Just to be clear, I'm not head of marketing for Google Home. <laughs> uh, look, it's early days. It's yep. really, really early days. Um, I mean, like, first hats off to Amazon for, for creating the category. Well done. Um, but uh, look, I, I, I think, I think you know, if you go back to the early days of, 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 of mobile, 
Um, you know, if you go back to 2009, which is a couple of years after the iPhone launched, uh, Android market share was about 0%, basically. Um, and it's not naught now, it's a global market leader. So I think, you know, we are in the very, very early stages of, uh, of, um, of, of smart speakers. Um, and, like, you know, we're really confident about what we're doing with that product. You know, if you think about our heritage in, in voice search in particular, you know, we've been running voice search uh, across mobile for, for, for many, many years and increasingly on desktop and on other services. So we're really confident about that. And if you think about, you know, the way in which we're using that with AI, which we'll come on to talk to later, I think, um, you know, the, the, the kind of the, the ability to understand uh, and, and define exactly what someone's saying uh, is, becoming, is becoming much, much better. A combination of speech recognition and natural language processing are really having a, a, a huge impact there. So, um, and I, as a result, like, you know, the, the, the home has only been out. I mean, the home mini was a massive success over Christmas. We were selling uh, basically one every, every second over, over Christmas. Um, and it, it, who's got a Google Home or Home Mini? Who has an Echo? Ah, there you go, Matt. <laughs> got some work to do out there, obviously. Uh, I tell you, I Give them away okay. for free. They've got, you guys have the money. But, but if you, you, you know, some of, the, some of the things that we've seen, you know, people are starting to uh, treat their, their Google Home, and voice search as well, but Google Home in particular, as a, as a human. So we hear people saying please and thank you and, and sorry, yes. even, which is, which is astonishing in many respects, considering it's, it's still a very, very nascent nice piece of technology. Does, does it freak you out, though? Because you look at Amazon, it's a very different business model. Uh -huh. uh, they're not as interested in the ads. Mm. Uh, they're more interested in getting you to sign up for Prime. If you sign up for Prime, you spend twice as much on Amazon as yep. a non-Prime yep. customer. Whereas you guys have to sell ads. 96% of your business is still ad-based. At the moment. And it's very hard to monetize voice. So are you a little freaked out by this new competition uh, with a very different business model? No, no I, I, think, uh, I think, you know, if you go back to the original mission of, of Google, which I'm sure, I'm sure you're very familiar with, you know, organize the world's information about and make it universally accessible and useful. Um, and, you know, that's essentially what we're trying to do. So, you know, if you think about the original vision of Google, original vision of Google that Larry Page had back in the mid-90s was that you could ask Google any question and it would give you exactly the right answer depending on who you were, where you were and what you what the, the, the kind of nuance of that question that you're asking. So so what we're seeing with like the home is that sort of the next iteration of that. We're really not fussed about at the moment. We're not really thinking about monetizing that particular product. What we're trying to understand is how people how do people use a device that's in the home that's that's separate from the phone, um, that 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 and you know what kind of questions they're asking, what kind of things they want want it to do. And then from there, we'll start to understand, you know, is there some kind of other monetization process here? And, you know, let's, let's not forget, this is just the starting point of a system becoming much more ubiquitous. So, you know, we, we, uh, we, we know that um, the assistant is going to be, be built into, uh, into Android Auto, or it is built into cars via Android Auto. Um, you saw the screen that, um, that Nick was talking about earlier. Um, so, you know, we can see that the system becoming more and more ubiquitous. And as we see that proliferation across multiple different devices and, and touch points, you know, the data that we're going to get is going to start to inform how we should be thinking about giving an added value service that might make us money at some point in the future. So Sophie mentioned this, this notion of the end of the smartphone era. Mm. We're, we're at the beginning of the, of the mm. end of it. Um, do you guys really believe that? Can we really, do you see a future in five years' time where people won't have their mobile phones out because they'll be able to talk to their glasses or their... their, their uh, earphones or whatever it may be. Simon, Marie, do you guys want to chime I, in on I that? do think so. I don't think it's natural for uh, humans to walk down the street like this all hunched over. There's that, you know, uh, Darwin's evolution of man that goes from eight to uh, Homo sapien and then you suddenly see him crouched over a phone, that graphic, and we shouldn't be like that. 
And I think Spike Jones's film, actually, Her, where um, uh, Joaquin Phoenix falls in love with the voice of Scarlett Johansson, and he has an earpiece, and when he needs to see something, he looks at uh, something in his pocket, I think is a more natural way. And Babak Parv is the founder of Google Glass. Um, Google Glass might have died, but he didn't. He's now working okay. and developing. <laughs> well, I was going to come on to that a little bit later. You're not but, off the hook yet. Babak Parv is now at Amazon, developing Amazon smart glasses. Yes. And there's and Facebook, Apple glasses, Facebook said recently it's going to replace the phone by 2022. Right. And 5G is going to serve data to those phones immediately. They're not. It was hindered by 3G uh, Google right. Glass. So. Look, talking to your glasses. 2022 is, is your prediction is the is the prediction the, spark, of an, the tipping predi- point will happen. <laughs> is the prediction of an executive from Facebook? Okay, Marie, 20, 2022. What do you think? I'm, I'm not going to put a year on it, <laughs> um, but I, I do think it's interesting. I mean, I know we're going to talk about probably facial recognition a bit later, but I, I did read quite an interesting yeah. article where. Um, some analysts, can't remember which bank it was now, but um, they sort of posited the theory that um, Apple have introduced facial recognition um, as a means of kind of bringing about the end of the smartphone. You know, yeah. so so you know that's been embedded as a sort of stealth means of shifting us all away from using the phone. Because obviously, once your face is your ID, then you no longer need your phone for so many different applications. So, um, so I thought that was a very interesting theory. I don't know how true it is, but. Um, but no, I, I agree with Simon. I think um, whilst it's very difficult for consumers to imagine a world that's not like the one we live in right now, um, it, it's it's very clear that you know technology is is increasingly becoming much more ambient, and 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 the more it sort of builds itself into the background and surrounds us, the less we sort of see it uh, as you know as using technology. It just becomes natural and intuitive. Right. Sorry, can I just just while we while just we quickly talk, just very quickly, but I I, I, I can't emphasise enough. How important it is still to, to go all in on mobile first. Um, like, you know, I know we're talking about 2022, and it might seem it's only five years away. But you know, how many? If you're really, really honest, apart from I can see Facebook in the room. Apart from Facebook, how many of you can honestly say that you're a mobile first business, and your consumers are all mobile first? And so we've got another one there. We've got two. Brilliant. Um, two. That's it. Two. I, I don't know. I, how many of you would say you're a mobile first business? And, and like you know, all of your consumers are thinking mobile first. Even if in five years' time we might be using glasses, at the moment the mobile is the number one. I would argue the mobile is the number one priority for you. Great. Let me let me talk a little bit about the exploration game and AR. Uh, James, you think this is the year AR is really going to take off? If you look at the data mm. from the report, about a third of the population has used AR, which is which is pretty low actually when you think about it. But it's obviously now going native. We've got AR Core, AR Kit. It's being baked into the phone itself. Actually, three three quarters of eighteen to twenty four old year, years old have used um, AR before. So probably Snapchat, I guess. Pokemon mm-hmm. like Go. Yeah. But do you think this is the year that AR is going to take off? I don't, I, I don't know. I think that bet's been made probably for the last four or five years. I mean, I remember the first time <clears throat> Blipper came in. Jess Butcher from Blipper came in and showed me Blipper maybe six years ago. Yeah. I mean, it's outstanding the fact that you could blip this uh, thing of Marmite. And recipes would pop out. I mean, so it's sort of another use case of we've had the technology already. It's a bit like contactless. So we've had the technology for ages, and that all worked. It's the sort of the human need as to why we need to do it. So Sophie touched on it, but for all of these things, whether it's 5G, whether it's the AR kit, that's all sort of well and good. The technology will ride ahead. But, you know, if you you try and explain to my dad why he would want to pay with contactless rather than cash for a coffee, I mean, he still can't get his head around it because there's no real need. It's not quicker. It doesn't serve any purpose. So I think with AR specifically, 
we just have to work out what's what's a really good use case. I mean, Magic Leap's great. The the dolphin Do you think jumps Magic out the Leap thing. Will be this year is the year apparently. You guys <coughs> have about what five hundred million dollars invested in. Put that into the next version of Glass. It may do the trick, but do you think Magic Leap will be the tech that this year when they release it, it'll be the thing that will... Simon, James, any... I, I, I think it has to go yeah. beyond that slightly gimmicky thing that it's been, that's yeah. been caught in. And I'm sure there's, there's, there's brilliant examples, but for me... If you talk about Magic Leap, it's the the whale that comes out in you know, and it's, that everyone sees, and that's sort of well and good, and you kind of walk away from it, and you get the nice feeling about it. But then if you're a brand, you're going, well, how do I sell holidays or deodorant? Yeah. It's, it's Marie, not Marie? What, Marie, what do you do with it? Um, well, I think the, the, the thing about Magic Leap is obviously, you know, we've been waiting for I don't know how many years to, to see what it can actually do. And um, the excitement's really about all the money that's gone into it and, and you know, the, the big companies behind it. So the expectations are massive. I think, you know, for me, the interesting thing about it is, first of all, that, that they're not going via smartphone, they're going straight to glasses. Um, I think, you know, for, for, for augmented reality to go mainstream, it can't be something that we literally have to hold our hands out here for, you know, hours and hours on day. It's just not practical. Um, and then secondly, you know, the technology seemingly um, is, it's, it's uses light to project um, into your eyes. So you, you see the object in the room and apparently um, it's a lot more comfortable to use. And I think that's another key um, development as well, that we're going to need to be able to be, use this for extended periods of time. So it's promising, but until we actually see what it can do, and, you know, as you said, the, the content that really drives people to need to use it, I think, you know, it's going to be a little bit while yet before it becomes mainstream. Let's talk a little bit about Get Snappy. Um, which is the image, image recognition technology that's out there. Um, and all these great examples where you can take a picture of somebody's clothes, you can figure out what they're wearing, or take a picture of their face and identify them. But it's a little, it's a little creepy. Don't you think it's a little creepy? You know, it's 62% uh, feel uncomfortable using facial recognition on other people. So are there, are there privacy issues here that we haven't quite worked out yet? I, I don't know about privacy, but I was, I was yesterday waiting to go through the barriers at, at Piccadilly Circus and was, I was behind that person who was trying to use Face ID to unlock their phone to be able to tap their phone on the contact list. <laughs> so you've got this sort of slight disaster. I mean, you remember when Touch ID came in, but you've yeah. now got people with queues of people you know, trying to do this Face ID. It's like, Jesus, you know, right. buy an Oyster card. So <laughs> I, I think... <laughs> I, and I'm all for not to be Debbie Downer on technology by any means, but I think... Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not, not sure. Again, it's like we've got the technology, but, but show me the brilliant use case we can do. I mean, the ASOS example is kind of yeah. lovely that it can look in the smart yep. mirrors maybe, but I, I guess we'll start to see you know, more good examples of how advertisers are going to get involved I've, with it beyond I've, the gimmick. I've, I've got Lens at yep. the moment. I mean, said it was launched in the States, but some of us are quite lucky to have it early. Um, yep. and, uh, and it is phenomenal. I mean, once you start to use it, and, you know, I... I Little things like buildings, um, you know, just, just hold it up against the building and all of a sudden you don't just get what that building is, but you get loads of information about that building because yes. of the knowledge graph we're building out over, over time. But even simple things like, like um, I pointed it at my dog. Uh, it's a cockapoo. It called it a labradoodle, so almost there. <laughs> but, you know, they do look actually quite similar. Um, and I think, you know, just, just things that I like, you know, my kids often ask me, what's that tree? I'm not very good on trees. Now with Google Lens, I'm an expert on trees. Um, and so I think, you know, I, this, is, this is from a consumer perspective. As consumers start to use these products more, 
that's when, and this is what we always, we always believe at Google, but just watch what the consumers are doing and then try and work with brands right. to work out what the best use case is to add some value to that consumer's experience. And what, Matt, what's your sense with uh, visual search versus voice search? I mean, mm. we talk quite a bit about voice search. Mm. I think two-thirds of all searches will be done by voice by two, the, by, uh, two, two years, I think, <laughs> if I remember correctly. Yep. Um, so visual search seems to be lagging a little bit behind yep. voice search. So what, what's your sense in terms of if you were to focus, which one would you focus on? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I, I think, you know, I, I, well, the first thing, I guess, is that, you know, from as an industry, I think the search industry has done a very good job of keeping pace with the changes that we've made in search. So, you know, if you go back to the early days of search, it was just 10 blue links. Mm -hmm. um, and then over time, you know, we've added things like extensions and products uh, and, and various other um, things. And so every time we kind of chuck something at the search community, they're brilliant at actually understanding how best to work on that to drive some value for the for the consumers that they're they're working with, I think I think from the because we've just had more uh, from a, from a Google perspective, we've had we've got more data on voice search because we've run in voice voice search for longer. That's why it is faster than typing now. Um, you know, it is to your point, it's becoming the norm. But if you look at the the way in which image search is improving, so we've we've improved the error rate on image search from about thirty percent to less than four percent in a year. So it's catching up massively. Yeah. And once consumers feel that uh, there, there is a, a, an almost fail-safe opportunity to get the right response. Yes. That's when they start to uh, start to adopt this. There's one stat I, I, I learned a, a few months ago that um, when you're talking to a human, your average understanding percentage is about 95%. Yes. So if I'm talking to you, it's, I understand it's about... It's lower for me. <laughs> from Ohio. And, uh, and, 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 and we, from a, from a voice search perspective, we can now understand more than 95%. So Google yes. Voice can understand more than a human. Yes. And so it's only when you get to that tipping point that consumers really start to lean in and trust to that point that, um, that we heard earlier, trust the technology right. and see that it's going to add some significant value for them. Great. Let's talk about automation, uh, the rise in AI and automation. Uh, Simon, how, how do you think automation is going to impact uh, the media? business media i think it provides a lot of opportunities one of the things we look at in the future home that we built at unruly it's really good is it who's been to the future home it's really good you should get I've over enjoyed there. it yeah well one of the things we're looking at with one of our influencers is tesco labs and they're aware that if you look at the normal way that we shop online with uh, our laptops we have that base layer which sometimes just doesn't change the pasta the cakes the fruit the veg the cereals and so on and then we top up with the things that run out so i'll shout out to my chip my my teenage children, do you need anything? They'll go, yeah, um, eye makeup removal, and I'll add that by typing and so on. But that base layer doesn't change very much. And brands are concerned that as we start topping up by voice, add eye makeup removal to, to it, that base layer may be set. And where's the possibility for brands to come into the space? And they worry that it's a, a real risk. But then I compare it to Spotify. Um, and I think what Spotify has done for unknown bands you know, discover weekly an algorithm which suggests songs that I might like based on my listening, the artists that I follow. And I have been to see artists live and enjoyed artists I would never have otherwise heard in the old days of you needed a record contract with this record company on that radio station. It was very restrictive. Now you've got access to everything. And I think what Spotify can do for bands, <laughs> um, computer vision, and AI can do for brands through Tesco. So it can be like, Simon, you've got that base layer of food. It's the same every week. People who like prawns, like calamari and mussels. Cucumbers. They love cucumbers. <laughs> be everybody in this country. It, between white bread with the crust cut off. But anyway, people who like that stuff, well, let's uh, order that for you. In computer vision, you know, you'll yeah. be able to go to the, the Ivy or wherever you might go, snap a dish. We're seeing voice come to screens. So high-sense TVs at CES 
now have remote controls with Google, uh, with Google Assist built into them. And Alexa's now got a screen with the Google search show. So there's a hybrid of screen coming to voice, voice coming to screen. You're going to be able to snap that dish at the Ivy, and it's going to say, I know what that dish is. I can order the ingredients. I can send you a recipe, and I can even adjust the appliances in your home to cook it perfectly for you. And so I think you're going to be snapping stuff and cooking stuff. I think it's going to look at your base layer of your basket and say, don't order the same, don't listen to the same stuff all the time, try this. Don't order the same stuff, try these brands. And there's going to be all sorts of opportunities that algorithms bring into play. All right, I'm going to bring it back down to earth a little bit now, Simon. Oh, that was very good, very inspirational. Um, destination data, uh, the massive extrapolation in data, which sounds wonderful, but we have this thing called GDPR, which is looming, which is probably keeping you very busy, James. Sorry. Um, should we be worried about this? Um, well, look, I think the first thing to say is, yes, it is keeping us very, very busy. And I think if you look at it from two sides, if you look at consumers, I think it's incredible. And the reason we'll know if GDPR works is that it sort of feels quite seamless and suddenly people are in control and don't have the emails that they don't want to have and they don't have the stuff following them that they don't want to follow them and they're in complete control of what they're doing. But the transition we've got before May is that we're operating on not a huge amount of guidance and information, um, uh, which we're sort of expecting a little bit more. And there's this whole thing around consent so how do we go about getting that consent from someone? There is a slightly nightmarish black mirror scenario, which is that every single website that I go on needs to ask my consent for the tracking that they want to get on me. And if I was to go onto a, a publisher, news publisher, there could be 40 different tags that uh, want to you know, put something on my computer or my phone. In the nightmarish dystopian world, all 40 people would have to ask you explicitly, Norm, I'm this company and I want to use your information for this purpose. Do you allow me? You'd have to do that times 40. When you go back onto that site and they want to use it, they might have to ask you again. When you go onto your next site, they might have to ask you again. So our kind of role in it, I guess, is working with the regulator to say, this consent thing's massive. How do we sort of sort it out? How do we have one very easy thing and I go onto the web and I say, yes, I'm okay for these people to use my data for these purposes. And do, do you think it gives an unfair advantage to the likes of Google and Facebook? So the, those companies that have big platforms with one opt-in, one ID, I mean, does it, does it give a bias to those sorts of companies? Well, well, well I guess if, if you're Facebook, for example, you might, and you've got, um, you've got that user data, I guess at some point you need to say, this is what we have and this is how we're using it. Yeah. Are you okay for us to do it? And at any point you change that, I guess, you need to tell you, but kind of need to do it once, I guess. Yeah. Um, so so if you, if, you, if you own data and you have that kind of relationship um, and it's login-based, then you're, you're probably at an advantage, yeah. And, and Marie, how, how, do you, how do you give consent in a world of voice interaction? I mean, mm. how, how do you do that? <laughs> I mean, the more you think about where we're going, it becomes more and more complicated. Um, you're not ticking a box or off the end. You're talking to devices increasingly in your car. 32% uh, of new mobile connections in the U.S. are actually not smartphones. They're cars. People... Connected their car. So, how do you give consent in this new world of, of interaction? Yeah, I mean, I, I, practically how you do that, I don't know. I just think I don't know either. No. I was hoping you would know. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, it, it's just incredibly important that brands do it because if, yeah. you know when you think about you know we t we talk about data as if it's code and just numbers, but actually, you know, it's not. It's the it's the intimate details of people's lives. It's it's you know it's very personal information, and so. Um, it's it's incumbent upon brands to to treat that as a privilege and to get the necessary consents. And I think you know 
um, actually brands should be seeing the GDPR as as the very basics of what they should be doing. Um, in the future, you know, com- um, pr- ethical use of data could be a differentiator yeah. competitively. So going beyond what the GDPR suggests and actively, you know, seeking to 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 use data in an ethical way yes. um, will be the future. I think. Okay. Ask uh, a question on that. Can I, yes. Good. While we got this panel together. Yes. It's like. Um, one of the things May Corrin at the Foresight Factory talks about, uh, she says, is that when we give up our data, it's because we believe there's a value exchange. So yes. you want that British Airways app because you don't have to print the boarding pass and so on. Yes. And when you're downloading that app, it says this app wants to look at your camera, listen to your microphone, read your address book and so on, continue or cancel. And if you click continue, you've given up the data and you're going to get the benefits that you think are worth having from the app. Is it? Do we know if it's going to be the case that if I say... Uh, I want the app, but I don't want to give you that stuff. You can still have the app because right now, if you say cancel, you don't get the benefits of the app. I think you, I think you, they're not allowed to turn you down. So if you they're refuse to consent, you, you still yeah. have to. You, you, yeah, you, you still get the benefits, but yeah. you don't have the, to give up your the, information. The uh, people value their data. Do you know what the, the, the value of your data is? It's about hundred pounds. That's the value that you place in your, your own personal data. Mm. So I don't know. We'll find out. But one one last question, and we'll turn it over to the audience for some questions because I know you all want to ask some. Uh, the most important trend, um, I know it's going to be the, the visual identification of trees for you. <laughs> is there anything else that really caught your, your, your I, I mean, we haven't, we haven't spent a huge amount of time talking about it, but um, really, we're in the midst of two massive technology revolutions, yes. um, the mobile revolution and the AI revolution. And, uh, you know, I, 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 the mobile revolution, as I've said before, you know, it's, it's, it is the most important thing that as businesses you should be doing right now, thinking about what your consumer is doing on mobile and how you can engage with them and add value to their um, uh, to the way they they, uh, they interact with you, but like moving forward, um, you know, Sundar, our, our CEO, talks about the fact that AI has got the the, the, the opportunity, the possibility of, of curing cancer, of solving climate change. So, you know, if I was going to get really excited about one piece of technology um, or one trend, it's without question. All right, Marie, you've got 30 seconds. Um, I think it's difficult to choose because they they all kind of intertwine, but I'd go for data because I think that underpins all of them. And um, if we can harness it well, it's got the potential to change ourselves and the world around us. Simon, 30 seconds. Our relationship with voice, as voice becomes more conversive, one of the things we're seeing with Xiaowise developed by Windows for uh, WeChat is that 45 million Chinese people every day have a conversation of 23 terms with Xiaowise, and it understands not only what they're saying, it also understands positive and negative cues. And we've already seen a four-year-old, when his mum passed out on the kitchen floor, pick up her thumb, swipe Siri and say, mummy's not breathing, and Siri dialed an ambulance and saved her life. Kids swipe TVs, and kids just talk to voice, and voice is going to become ubiquitous in our homes. And when it gets conversive, it's going to get very interesting. Yeah, my son asked Alexa the other day how to kill somebody. (laughs) And she came back and she said, now you don't really want to do that, do you? (laughs) James? It would be worth deleting that from your history. (laughs) Sort of a build on Simon, but this, and, and a bit left field, this idea of sort of technology curing loneliness, there's a brilliant case study of, uh, uh, of turning TVs, um, the sort of understand if you've not used them for three days, actually that might be a sign that there's, there's something wrong with someone. You sort of saw the, the, the sort of connected pet in one of the first slides. Yeah. But how can technology solve stuff like this, as Matt said, things like Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, loneliness, oh, yes. big things. I mean, we, we talk in this room very much like a 5G and all the rest of it, but how can tech, how can we do it to, to do purposeful things with brands on board as well? Really good point. All right, I think we have a minute or two for any questions. Does anybody have any questions? I don't know if we have a mic, a ro- roaming mic. We've got a mic over there. Okay, any questions? Hi, guys. Um, it's Joe from Mindshare. Um, 
distraction. So uh, there's a lot talked about. There seems to be a growing awareness that, that distraction is becoming an issue. It's kind of interrupting uh, our enjoyment of, of everyday life and driven by various technologies. Do you think uh, these trends are going to um, make that worse or, or better? That's a really good point. So let's, let's say extrapolate it's the end of the smartphone era. Um, will that free people up to just enjoy life a little bit more? Anyone have a go there's, on that? There's a, there's a hashtag called Opt Outside yeah. uh, by um, REI Boots uh, company, all right? And they're sort of looking at the fact that we spend 95% of our days indoors now. We're becoming an indoor species. And when we are indoors, we're spending time just scrolling, scrolling through phones. I do think that AI is going to become this useful nanny to us that knows what we're doing. It's going to say, Simon, you've been on the computer for an hour. Uh, your next meeting is not for two hours. It's a lovely day outside. Why don't you go for a walk? And I'm going to count your steps on your counter. And we shouldn't need that nannying. But, you know, you only go to Singapore and you see I was in a shopping mall where no one was talking. Everyone was just on devices and not just discussing with each other. Yeah. And I think your AI is just going to say, turn it off and get back to doing important things with your loved ones and get outside and have right. some fun. And I think AI is going to prompt us to do that eventually. More of a utopian than dystopian view. Okay, good. I mean, when I was a kid, my mum used to tell me that if I watched too much TV, I'd get square eyes um, and, and all sorts of other horrible things. Uh, and I think that's probably proven not to be true uh, over, over years. I, I think, you know, there's, we see these things kind of come, kind of come and go in, in cycles. Uh, you know, we are, uh, some of us might be digital natives. I'm certainly yeah. not. I'm too old to be a digital native. But I think, you know, if I, if I watch the way in which I, I, I watch my, my, my oldest daughter in particular, who's 14, and her mates, the way they interact with technology, they're already self-policing and they're self-regulating in a way that perhaps we don't really understand yet. And I do think that, you know, as they, the, for the generation that's grown up with technology and has never known anything else, they're going to understand that there's a balance to be, to be driven, driven between technology and other stuff. Yeah, I think that the main difference for, for, for me, at least, you know, growing up in Ohio, we had, we had three TV channels. TV kind of sucked. <laughs> things like Dukes of Hazard, which bizarrely this country also loves. I don't know why. <laughs> we, we, we did, yeah. Um, so there really wasn't, when TV went off at 11 o'clock or midnight, it was done. And with my kids, they have just so much content on yep. YouTube to consume or Netflix. It's just this never-ending amount of content. So I think that'll be a big struggle. And that doesn't seem to be going away from okay. what I can tell. Any other questions? All right. Well, thank you very much. A round of applause for our all-star panel, everybody.